Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. So today's show is really uh, an extension from the last episode where we talked about the science of effective leadership. And I'm joined again today by Dan Doherty, who's an expert in this coaching field, especially when it comes to how dynamic relationships work in the workplace, particularly around being an effective coach, an effective leader, someone who can give effective feedback. And I was thinking about a story as we were preparing for this episode um, of a client that I was working with not not that long ago. And his he had a complaint. This was a CEO. He said, Jeff, here's our problem. We have all these new reps and we've trained all these reps up and we're giving them all these, quote, performance management tools. And here's the problem. They're they're bucking. They're coming back saying that they they're experienced reps and they don't like to be micromanaged. And if you remember from our last episode, we talked about the difference between you know, management and leadership and that you have to be a leader coach and that you can't be a great leader unless you're a good coach. And so it's funny because I looked at him and I said, you know, in all the years that I've been working with professionals of all executive all the way down to the field level, 25 plus years of doing this, being a salesperson and a marketer and then being a manager and then being an executive and then running my own company for over a decade. Not once, not once have I ever heard someone complain about being micro coached. And he looked at me and he just started laughing. And and then as I thought about it, we're talking through it. I said, "Do do you really see the difference? And let's, and then we just we started working backwards through their quote unquote performance management system, and it was on the surface good, right? There were good controls, there were good forms, there were good expectations of what the sales folks in the field needed to be doing. The problem was the it, it, from a confining standpoint, because like we talked about last time, the reps didn't necessarily appreciate or trust the motive behind the accountability. So when the when the trust is not there and you're asking me to give you a bunch of information, you're basically telling me that I don't trust you to do your job. And so they interpret it as micromanagement. And like we talked about in the last episode, you can you can manage processes, but if you're trying to manage people, you're probably going to get resistance. And so as we go into today's episode, it really comes down to intent. And what I really want to talk to you about today is we want to focus in on feedback, how to give feedback, how to receive feedback. Um, what does it mean to be good at giving feedback? Where does it fail? And what are the what are the speed bumps and the tripping points that a lot of leaders today uh, end up running into? And this is, again, remember for our audience out there, every topic we, we discuss in the Driving Change podcast, we try to wrap it around you as an individual, regardless of your role whether you're an executive leader, whether you're a salesperson, a marketer, whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you're coaching your kid's soccer team. So this today's episode, I think, is a really, really powerful episode because it really comes down to, are you a good coach? Can you build the kind of trust necessary in order to give feedback to somebody in a way that they will receive it that will make them better and make all parties closer to achieving the goal they set out to do? 
And that's really what today's episode is about. So I thought it might be a good place to jump in with you, Dan, and welcome again. Love having you on, as always. And talk about, let's start with the Daniel Kahneman risk of loss, the loss aversion. Where, does, where do we fall down? Where does feedback typically fail? Give us some color around your opinion on that. Well, there's a few things, Jeff, and, and, and thanks for having me back. There's a couple of things on feedback that I want all of our listeners to, to understand. One is, in, especially where feedback fails. A couple of areas that feedback fails is, let's ask ourselves when we're coaching, are we coming at our coaching from a perspective of self-preservation or are we coming at our coaching from trying to control someone else? One of the problems with feedback is that humans are, we're relatively unreliable raters. And what gets in the way of that is oftentimes our feedback is more about us than it really is about the person that we're giving the feedback to. And what we've, what we've learned through the years is that if the way that we deliver feedback, our natural response to feedback is that we will encounter feedback almost as a stress mechanism. And as that, as that happens, oftentimes we begin, and you think about when you've given feedback or received it, our brains actually start to I don't want to use the word shrink so much, but it starts to change and narrows in our ability to think about where is this person who's giving me feedback really trying to take me, which is why this is one of the one of the hottest topics today. Sometimes the people that we're sitting across, they might not see us as a credible source. They might not see us as, you know, we're that available. And all of a sudden we're driving feedback all of a sudden once or twice a year. And they're like, hey, I'm not connected to this. Or we don't really connect with people from having quality in our feedback. So... It's a tremendous part of the job that a leader coach has to do every single day with multiple people. And so there's multiple areas around coaching and in particular giving feedback that are ripe for failure. So let me play some of that back. Um, And this really does dovetail nicely off our last podcast on the science of effective leadership. So what you're telling me is, is when you give me feedback as someone who's in authority, so particularly in an authoritative position, again, could be a manager, quote unquote, manager by title, can be a parent, it could be your basketball coach, whatever, you're someone in a position of authority. And when you give me any type of feedback, my natural instinct from a self-preservation standpoint is actually to resist it because I'm perceiving that I'm broken, right? And I, and I want to create an environment in my mind of safety, in the safety boxes we talk about. And so therefore, I, I see you as a threat now as opposed to an ally. And because you're giving me any type of feedback, anything because any type of feedback is essentially designed to help someone do something different. Now, you can be positive feedback. And you're just encouraging the same behavior. But most of the time, our brains perceive and receive feedback as I'm broken. They're telling me something's wrong that I need to do different. And therefore, my threat risk goes up, Right. And so, so what you're telling me is, is that we're not biologically predisposed to receive feedback very well. No, we're not. And as a matter of fact, I would, I would ask you and ask anybody out there listening, when they've done a coaching exchange with someone, have you ever actually stopped after the person leaves your, your office or leaves the boardroom? Or if you're at a parent meeting and, and you leave some meeting and you've given somebody feedback, have you ever stopped to think, how was that feedback actually received? And what is that person going to do with it? And if you, we oftentimes around here like to say, how fluid is the feedback exchange? If that feedback exchange isn't fluid and 
someone perceives that feedback as being all about you and not about them, what happens as the as the coach at times you're like, I did my job great. Everybody's happy. They're going to go do now exactly what I told them to do. And then all of a sudden you find yourself coaching a month later and you're like, wait a second. They didn't do anything that I told them to do. Right. And to your point, because it came more from your perspective than theirs. And it, and it breaks down. It breaks down all the time. And so all of us as leader coaches at times, or e- even as just thinking ourselves in the mindset of a coach, is if change is so difficult to actually have sustained and someone to really make a change or do something different, what perspective are you actually coaching from? That's the question I would ask you. And what is the impact of your coaching? Is it a real abrupt type of coaching or is it more of a fluid coaching exchange? So is the, is the question that you're asking about your, the perspective you're coaching from, and I think about this a lot in just relationships in general, is it, am I adopting a truly empathetic mindset because I want to make someone better as a, as a person, right? I want to, I want to help improve their skill set or I want them to be able to have a better outcomes for their goals, which by the way should be mutual goals if they're in a work environment. But you're saying that's usually not the case that most people just instinctively, because of our natural inclination, as even as leaders, we're still self-preservation uh, orientation, right? Is that we still come at it from a transactional mindset. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about this. And why I love having you talk about these topics to me is think about your personal, the most intimate relationships that you have in your life, even outside of work um, with, your, say, your spouse or your significant other. And if you don't have a really, 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 really good feedback of giving the spouse feedback around things that affirm them and make them see your agenda is really about them and not about you, then what will happen? You'll get you'll get scorched earth, right? You'll get into the argument. You'll get into the rambutting of heads and the spouse will turn right around and immediately be in defense mode. And I think as I start to think about what you're saying, as human beings, and we talk a lot about this with our clients, is we're natural problem solvers, right? Human beings since the beginning of, of time have been natural problem solvers since you know creating fire and the wheel. And those are all uh, designed to create uh, solutions to problems. And because we're naturally wired that way, we all think we're really good problem solvers. Therefore, we're really good problem pointer outers, right? So I can look at you and say, well, here's your problem. Um, if you would just stop doing this, then you would stop being an idiot. Like it, that's not what we say, but I think sometimes that's the perspective that we coach from, and we don't even mean to. So Jeff, we can cover this on an, on another podcast, but you're you're now moving into a place. I learned this after 28 years of marriage. There are some problems that my spouse does not want me to solve, and I come at it because I want to solve it from my perspective because I want it to go away. And she's like, "Don't solve my problems. I'm not asking you to solve my problems. I'm asking you to listen." to what I'm telling you and sit and listen. So we can get into whole hearing versus listening and how we transfer right. that into problem solving. A marriage counseling podcast. That's a whole different, that's a whole different <laughs> topic. But I do want to ask like, like I want our, our listeners to think of like three or four simple questions when it comes to how you give feedback. And, and so think about these as you're listening and process them, how you actually play these through your coaching sessions. Is the coaching session about you? Or is it about the other person? That's question one. Question number two, why did you get into leadership in the first place? Was it about you? 
or was it about actually transforming in some way the people that you're responsible to lead? Third question I want you to think about is, do you and your team member have a shared vision for where you're going? Coming into the conversation at a higher level, do you have a shared vision that leads to enough trust that drives you to allow you the opportunity to coach in an effective way? So the last question is all around trust. Do you have enough trust that allows you the right and the ability to coach someone, whether the coaching is positive or negative? Because trust is through all of this. Right. Yeah, those, those are three really good and challenging questions. Even as I sit here and think about um, even later this afternoon, I have to have a couple of coaching conversations and um, my instinct, both by my style, my personality style and how I'm wired is I like I'm a I'm a GSD guy gets stuff done or fill in the blank for your S. And sometimes I can be very transactional. And when I feel like the person I need to give feedback to is not on the same level of urgency with accomplishment of outcomes, then my feedback tends to be a little more pointed and directive. But I have to be honest, I don't know that I always think about, am I making this person better with the feedback or am I just simply trying to get them to be better at accomplishing what I need them to do? And that's, that's a, I know that's, that's a hard gut check because there's some truth in the latter, unfortunately for me sometimes. It really is. And I'd like to give you an example of a coaching scenario that was one that really transformed the way that I think about coaching and actually transformed, I think, the person that originally gave me the coaching. And this all comes back to, did we have enough trust that I knew where the feedback was coming from in order for me to receive it in a way that I could problem solve? So here's the quick scenario. I fly to Chicago for a meeting. And a lot of you out there may have had this type of experience, hopefully not exactly. Go to a meeting, thought the meeting went went fantastic. I leave that meeting feeling good about myself. I get in the car. Uber wasn't around at the time. So I get in the car, takes me back to O'Hare Airport. I'm walking through O'Hare, O'Hare Airport, and all of a sudden I hear my name paged in O'Hare. And so for all of you that have flown through Chicago, you know that O'Hare is a huge airport. So I hear my name paged. My immediate reaction is, uh-oh, something happened to my family. Something happened. Nothing good, right. by the way, when you're right. getting paged in O'Hare Airport when you weren't expected to. So I quickly as I can, I run over to the intercom system. I get the page and the page says, we need you to call. Gave me the number. I'll leave the person's name out of it immediately. So I call this number. Now comes the coaching session. This is your boss at the time. This is my boss at the time who I had just left from the meeting that I felt really great about. Right. And so as he, he explains this, this issue to me in a way that was so direct and you and I, Jeff, have have read and listened to a lot of work from Daniel Goleman and Richard Boyatzis and kind of puts coaching into two big buckets, whether you're coaching for compassion or whether you're coaching for compliance. This was a straight compliance conversation and went on a tirade for about 15 to 20 minutes as I'm hearing my flight board over my shoulder and I've got the pressure of getting on that airplane, but yet listening to my boss who is coaching me in a way that is so direct and I had no idea where it was coming from and how something changed from the time I left the office the time I got to the airport. It's not really coaching, more venting. <laughs> yes. At you. It was a not coaching for you. But it was a one-way you. push. If so if we're going to define coaching as a two-way exchange, this was a one-way right. push. Let's be really clear. 
So when I think back on that episode, so what happened was, and I won't go into the details because it's not as important. I could not problem solve because I will tell you, and before I knew about what was happening in my brain chemistry, it drove so much stress in my brain, Jeff, that I shut down my ability to think. When it shut down my ability to think, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to exit stage left. I wanted to get out. I sat on that airplane. There was no closing your eyes, no taking a nap for that hour and five minute flight from Chicago to Cincinnati. I kept pounding through my brain, you know, this playing the tape back on the conversation, but nowhere thinking about how I could problem solve. When I've since reflected back on this, what I realized was a couple of things. Number one, I was relatively new in my job and I was being taught in, a, in his way a lesson. We had no shared vision. Truly, we really had, we hadn't yet built a relationship of trust and we didn't understand each other's why we were doing what we were doing. We understood the fact that we each had jobs and I reported to him and it was very clear in his eyes that I had made a mistake. The outcome of that, after I had calmed down and I didn't quit, which a lot of people quit and we know the cost of that. I didn't quit, but the outcome of that was once I was able to calm down, I realized I could then get into problem solving mode, but I truly went into self-preservation. And as I thought about that coaching exchange, I learned, you know what, if I'm going to come that direct at somebody, I better understand, first of all, I better have a relationship with them. Secondly, there should be some elements of trust there or they're not going to be able to think critically and problem solve. Right. And the third thing is that, um, when you earn that, when you earn that right through trust, then it allows you the ability to coach a little bit more with compliance because I would have known where it's coming from. So here's how the story ended. Almost 20 years later, this gentleman is still one of my mentors today. And the reason he's my mentor today is that after that coaching exchange, which was not fluid, by the way, we had a very open conversation once we solved the problem about the fact that that kind of coaching just didn't work for me. I, and we can get into this later, but I then was seeking feedback at that point. I went to him and he was available to me. And from there, I knew where that source of that feedback was coming from. And once I understood where the source was, I trusted him. Once I trusted him, that relationship has stood for almost 30 years. The way we coach matters. So the, the environment that he had created, plus his delivery style and approach, um, plus the perception of his agenda all flew directly in the face of your ability to actually be coached effectively in that situation, right? Yeah, there's a great concept out there called psychological safety. And quite honestly, I did not feel in my own chemistry. Everything was at risk. Oh, yeah, everything. My job <laughs> was at risk. at risk. That task was at risk. Our relationship was at risk. My spouse being mad at me when I got home because I'm like, you know. Did you get fired? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that would have caused a lot of risk. And you end up in a roadside ditch, right? <laughs> so um, for those direct TV commercial fans out there, and that's, the hap- that's what happens, right? The cascade of self-preservation and the cascade of the risk mitigation that takes place in our brain when someone gives us feedback that way, it puts us in a place, and we know this now, right? From a psychological and a biological and physiological standpoint, it puts us in a space where we cannot, to your point, not, not just problem solve, we can't think openly and creatively whatsoever. Um, I know Amy Cuddy's a, a Harvard psychologist, a great researcher out of, that does a lot of work there at Harvard. And one of her, her latest book, Presence, she really does a nice job of articulating how human beings are wired. And in the corporate environment, uh, you know, it's the trust versus the reputation idea, uh, the personal trust, and we call it personal trust versus professional credibility. And, and it's been proven, right, not just Amy, but lots of other folks have proven this idea that not until I trust you personally am I open to how you can help me professionally. 
And as a leader whose job it is to be a good coach, this is so critical. And what I think would be helpful then is let's go back to your three questions. And then maybe what you could do is start to walk the audience through some practical steps in how to, excuse me, how to effectively give and receive feedback. And so one of the first questions that you had outlined is, is this feedback session, is it about me or is it about you? So is it about you, the leader, in your agenda and what you need to tell me I'm doing wrong so that you can feel better about yourself? Um, or is it about me, the recipient, understanding that you care about me and that you want me to be better and that you want me to be better because you care about what I care about and ultimately we care about the same things? And that's where the second question came in around, do we have a shared vision? And so, and I think about the last question that you asked, which was the first one is, why did I get into the leadership to start with? I think that's the gut check question. Like we don't have to spend a ton of time on that one in this episode, but most, I will tell you my own personal perspective is most leaders today got into leadership. And I say most, don't take offense out there leaders. Most of us thought, well, if I can get promoted, there's some pride there. So there's some identity issues with why we wanted to be promoted because it was around power, but also I get paid more. And I just, the other thing was, it just seemed like that was the expectation. I've been told I demonstrated or you've demonstrated or whomever's demonstrated some leadership and I'm using air quotes characteristics. So therefore you must need to be a manager. So you don't necessarily even take on leadership roles with the right agenda. And so I'd ask everybody out there to do a, do a little bit of self-reflection on why you decided to be a leader to begin with. But for the remainder of this show, let's talk about the other two questions. Do we have a shared vision? What does that mean? And then are you in this feedback session on for my benefit? And are you creating the type of environment that's conducive to me not only enjoying and appreciating the feedback, but seeking it out? Like, what, like you've become such a powerful coach and mentor to me that I, I, I track you down because I want your feedback. So maybe using those, can you give us some around the framework and some practical steps on how to how to create that environment and then how to give and receive feedback effectively? Yeah, so I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a couple of aspects of let's let's start at, at the first point about shared vision. And so I'm going to tailor this answer specifically to kind of the coaching environment and the dynamics that you're that you're trying to create. And we've we've you and I've looked at a lot of work and some some work that we you know really enjoy is is from Steelman and Levy and Snell where they. They created a feedback environment type of scale, which really looks at what are some of those feedback environment things that will lead you lead you overall to a to a shared vision. So for today's podcast, I just want to touch on a couple. First, and I'm gonna ask you now for the coaches out there to think about this from 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 your coaching perspective and how you apply it in different in different domains. The first one is to create a shared vision, I want you to think about your own source credibility because credibility is one of those interesting things that credibility 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 comes credibility comes up relative to our expertise oftentimes but it's also about trustworthiness which is what we were just talking about so if you have both trustworthiness and you're credible that creates a, uh, an overall arching credibility that will help us as coaches have more fluid coaching exchanges so let me stop you for a second so this term source credibility, what you're saying is as the person giving the feedback, I'm perceived by the person receiving the feedback as both 
trustworthy personally, so you're not a threat to me personally. You care about me. I believe in you, and I believe you care about me. There's trustworthiness there. And from a respect and a reputation and a credibility standpoint, I believe you can actually help me. And so source credibility, what you're saying is, is that's my perception of you both from a personal trustworthiness and a professional trustworthiness perspective. Is that right? Yeah. So here's the, because here's our default mechanism. Most of us out there, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we will, our default mechanism, because it's the way we trained, we were trained and it goes back to the leadership question, will default to professional trustworthiness. What do you mean most of us will default to that? You mean the way we communicate? The way we we communicate. others. The way we will communicate and oftentimes the way we'll perceive others. Okay. You know, because think about it this way. If, um, if we took that promotion because we were, we were good at what we, the job that we did and we saw the opportunity for more authority and we had more control and we made more money, we're going to naturally feel some essence of credibility right. when we come into that. And we want to push that credibility and we want to be seen as a, as a source of, of credibility. That part for a lot of us is easier. So I deserve this promotion. And let me tell you why. For right? sure. Because it's all credibility, not connection, right? For sure. But, yeah. but in the way you and I often train people is it is so easy to default into what we do. Right. And what we did before got us to what we're doing now, but it has no connection to why we're actually doing it. Yeah. Which is why when you think about are you credible source, what we really want to add to this little mix is think about that personal trustworthiness. Because when we get to the end of this podcast, we want to give a, a little bit of a takeaway formula that might be useful for people. But if you take nothing else away from this podcast today is that when you come into these coaching sessions and you want to have a fluid exchange and you want to drive a shared vision, then you should be balancing this personal trustworthiness and professional trustworthiness. And I think that's I think that's an aha for a lot of us because the personal trust that you have to be a little bit vulnerable. And it's tough at times to do that when we come in as a coach. Because we want to be the person. We want to be the person, the parent, the leader that has all the answers. And that's not what our teams need. All right. So I'm going to pause for a second because this is something that I'm going to challenge our listeners out there who are in a leadership position and think about. Um, I've struggled with this over the years at times. And I've coached a lot of executives over the last decade. And the thing is, the more intimate the relationship becomes from a coaching and a trust standpoint, the more I discover this to be true about them because they'll tell me this. And if you're a leader out there today, I want you to challenge yourself if this is you. A lot of leaders believe that they actually don't deserve to be in the position that they're in and that they're going to be found out, that they're a fraud. And they walk around with this almost paranoia that they're not good enough to actually be at the level they are. And at some point, someone's going to find them out. And so when you feel that way, you tend to communicate at a higher level of credibility to prove that you belong there. And it's totally, a, it, it, it's a falsehood that you, it's a narrative that your subconscious has told you that's not true. Now, for some of you, you probably is. You didn't deserve to be promoted. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, some of you are thinking, my boss didn't deserve to be promoted. But we walk, as leaders, we walk around with that subconscious almost guilt and this fear that, oh, they're going to find me out. The reality is, is, hey, let me give you guys a secret out there. None of us know what we're doing. No, no leader on the planet actually knows 100% what they're doing. They're making it up as they go along. And as good leader will do is they'll learn as they go. And they never stop learning. They never stop growing. And yet that underlying feeling that you're not good enough to be in that position can drive you into credibility mode, which will prevent your people from actually trusting you at a personal level. 
Yeah, Jeff, I'm, the literature out there, as you know, they, they call that phenomenon the imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, um, there's also something called the CEO syndrome, where it's like you, you even for our senior leaders out there, they get to these senior levels and now they feel in their minds, they have this expectation that they should know everything and we don't know everything. So when we talk about words like humility and vulnerability, it's sometimes really difficult to right. do that when we're in a leadership position. But so, you're at risk. You think you're going to be at risk if you show those things. Completely. Right? Yeah. Completely. Because you have to be a little vulnerable. Right. And now, you know, that's not as easy for us. I want to give two other two other takeaway points for our listeners on this relative to this kind of fluid feedback exchange. So we just talked about a little bit of a broader definition of credit, credit source credibility with putting trustworthiness in there. The second one I want to challenge people to is how... How available are you as a source for the people that you're leading? What do you mean by that? Like how available? Like uh, my schedule's open from 9 to 10. Um, you know, I know that's very practical, but what do you mean by availability? Is it perception of availability by the people? Is it actual my calendar's open? Like, I'm going, what does that mean? I'm going I'm, well, perceptual and actual probably both matter because okay. perception is reality to some degree. But I'm going to challenge you, look at your calendar. Okay. How available are you for coaching? Because the days of once a year, formalized performance appraisals, those days are gone. Yeah. We live in a society that people coming into our workforces and those that are already there are checking their phones hundreds of times a day, are getting instantaneous feedback. But yet we as coaches only, because we're so busy that we only find ourselves available maybe once a month, maybe, maybe a weekly one-on-one. When people are craving feedback, so are you truly available? Check your own calendar. Take, right. Here's an exercise for you. Take 30 days, go back, look at your calendar over the past 30 days, and see how many times that you were actually available to your employees that you're entrusted to lead to actually have custom, customer, because they are your customers, customer conversations with them to, to have a fluid feedback exchange. Yeah, and you also, when we think about this from a broader perspective, man, it's so interesting to me and challenging to the parallels in our personal lives. How available are you as a dad? How available are you as a mom? To the extent that you're available to your kids and that you are on a shared vision with your kids, guess what? They're going to want and be open to more feedback, at least other teenagers. <laughs> but you get the point, right? That can be a challenging thing in our personal lives. If you're not available to people, your friends, to your family, not just your coworkers and to the folks that you're responsible for leading. This this availability piece is a big deal, I think. Yeah, I'm going to give you the third piece of that too, and this this also applies to us as as parents or um, really any type of leadership position that we're in. Is if you want to see how you're actually or get a gauge on how you're actually perceived as a coach, not only how available you are, but how often are your team members actually seeking feedback. So, so coming think, to you for coming to you. Yeah. So Ashford and Cummings back in the early eighties did some really profound work about this. So think about this. Are your, are your team members coming to your door? If you want to know if you really have a shared vision, you have trust, are they coming to you or are you going to them? It's a rhetorical because I'm not sure I'm comfortable answering that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I told you this is challenging me. Counseling for all of us. <laughs> but that's the reality. Are they coming to you? Right. Are they coming to you? Not to solve their problems, but are they coming to you because you're a trusted advisor to them right. that has their best interest at heart? So if you, if you walk away with nothing more that do you truly understand your people? 
And is there a trustworthy relationship? And then this exchange of, are you available to them? And are they coming to seek feedback? If you really think about those and apply those in a way that you're available and you have a deep enough relationship that they're actively seeking feedback, I will promise you that those relationships are, are going to be deep and that team in the end is going to, is going to flourish through that type of leadership for right. sure. Boy, that's a, that's a tough but really valuable and challenging metric is how often do our team members, without being prompted, without it being scheduled, come to you, call you, stop in your office, stop by, just, just to say, hey, I got, I got an idea, I want to run it by you. Or, hey, I'm struggling with X, and I know that you, you're really good at helping me think through why. Um, like that kind of an environment, to me, is a really good metric on how your teams perceive you as a coach. And if they're not doing that, by the way, it might mean, doesn't necessarily mean this, but there's a fairly high likelihood that they're afraid of your feedback because your feedback tends to be self maybe self-preservation um, driven and or it's always problem centric. Like you know, you're a great problem pointer out but I don't need you to point out my problems. I need you to help me with creative solutions. So it's a good, a good, a good challenge. Well, for if us. they're coming to you, Jeff, I mean, ask yourself, are they coming to you because of your expertise, which it's okay in some cases, or are they coming to you because not only do you have expertise, but because there's a trusting relationship there that they believe that you have their best interest at heart. Right. That you're going to make them better. For sure. Way, right. Yeah. For sure. Good. Excellent. Well, let's go now as we start to you know, pivot to the landing, the landing strip with this topic. Cause man, we could talk about coaching and I, you and I have talked about this offline that I still think it's one of the biggest deficiencies in all of society period, but particularly in corporate America today, whether it's a small business or a large business, um, enterprise business, this idea of effective coaching, coaching that drives effective outcomes, but also as importantly drives behavioral change and development in our people is such a deficiency. So as you start to think about the, the audience today, give us like some, maybe three or four really practical points that will help our coaches today leave going, okay, I can go do that. Okay. So I'm going to give you three. And the first one we've talked about through the relationship piece of this. So it's a real, real simple one. Do you understand the why of what your team members do every day? Not the what they do, because you got that through their job description. Do you understand the why they do what they do? And back to that leadership question, do you understand, Jeff, the why you do what you do? Because I, I will tell you, if you really care about building a shared vision and building a truly trusting relationship that drives a high quality relationship for sustainable change, then you've got to understand the why. And we always, we come back to this in these conversations. We started it with the leadership, picking it up here in coaching. Let's start there. That's, that's, part, that's part one. So hold on, let me make sure I clarify for the audience. So not just the why I work for you or why I work at a business, but my personal why as well, right? What's, what's my family environment like? Why do I, look, we all work for a particular reason. We, you know, we work so we can live. We don't necessarily live so we can work, right? For most of our employees. So the idea of my why, do you know your teammates' why to the extent that you know their kids' names and you might even know their birthdays and you know the big moments in their life and you know what really motivates them at an emotional level. Not to get into a bunch of HR nonsense, but really truly understand your people at that at that personal level. That's what you mean, right? Yeah, because it comes back it comes back to this word that people just throw around about actually caring about other people right. and having empathy for other people. 
we get so busy with our tasks that oftentimes we think we care about people, but let's be honest, at times, at times our people can be a means to an end. And right. that's, and that's one of the problems with coaching. It's yeah. why it's so hard because we all feel stressed too. Right. Okay. So we got to know our leader why, um, and not just because I want a promotion and to make more money. Um, why do I want to be a coach? Why? And then I, I need to know my people's why and more so than the work, but more personal stuff. So we got the why down. Now what's next? The next piece is what's your style? What's your coaching style? Oh, coaching style. Because you know, I got a pretty good general style. You make coaching. Okay, coaching style. All right. Coaching style. Some would argue I don't have really good personal style either. But I'll leave that. Carry on. I'll leave that for a different podcast. Carry on. So coaching style. Because the coaching style, the coaching style itself is, let's go back to the terms we kind of threw out there earlier. Do you come at your coaching from one, from a place of where you're trying to drive a really kind of strong relational energy and climate and a, a, a kind of a... Uh, we call the compassion earlier, but coming from that compassion perspective, or are you coming at it from a compliance perspective? We oftentimes have a natural tendency. And what I mean by compliance is very task, very task oriented, transactional, get the, transactional, yeah. get the mission accomplished, which by the way, everybody out there, we need to have that. There it's is a time and a place right. for that. Absolutely. But we as coaches, oftentimes we have a more dominant style, just like sometimes we have a more dominant personality style. Right. If we think about our coaching style, we'll fall into a bucket of like, I'm in transaction mode. And when I'm in transaction mode, are you, are you running over people or are you running with people? You know, so just think about your coaching style because that often leads into your ratio of how favorable your feedback is, unfavorable feedback. So think about the style. Gotcha. Um, that's an important one because I, I think about style. We probably need to define that more and maybe we can go in more depth in, in, in future episodes about that. But one of the things that I think about from a coaching style standpoint that I'm not great at, that I have to focus on, is coaching with questions as opposed to telling people. And I think that I've noticed that and in, in, in I've reflected back on the coaches in my life over time in history, both personally and professionally. The, the coaches that I think I responded to the best were really good at asking me insightful questions, even if they were leading questions, that they knew they were taking me down a path. But they were really good stylistically at asking me thoughtful provocative, insightful questions, just like you would, by the way, as a customer, if you're a good salesperson, asking me questions to get me to think so that my response led to some level of awareness that I now own the awareness versus you telling me. And I don't mean a question like, hey, did you know that you suck at sales? <laughs> not those kind of questions. The Tommy boy question? The Tommy boy question. Not, not those type of questions, but some really, I think that's a style thing, right? But it, you're not born with that. You have to develop it and I know that I have to work hard on that because I, my brain works really fast all the time. Not really correct necessarily fast, but fast. And so it's easier and more expeditious for me just to tell you something. But a great coach will ask you a question that will lead you to coming up with the awareness of what I needed you to think so that you'll own some of the, the outcomes. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the third piece I'd like to add to this, Jeff, is what we were just talking about. Think simply about the environment for feedback that you as the coach are actually driving with your team members. You know, so that that environment, we talked about three, just three simple topics to start today. You know, that source credibility with the trustworthiness. How available are you as a source? And how much are your people actually seeking feedback from you? If you can think about just those three things, if you put this all together, you understand their why at a personal and professional level. You think about the dynamics of the style of which you're coaching. And then third, you think about the environment that you're actually creating as a coach. If you can put that kind of 
simple to say, difficult to execute formula right. together, it's going to lead to more powerful coaching impact for each of your team members. Makes sense. And just to clarify, by by coaching and feedback environment, you don't necessarily mean that my my office has <clears throat> nice, soft, cushy bean bags with candles, right? You're talking. You're talking. Now it might, but you're talking about in. You know, figuratively speaking, that I as a leader have created an environment generally where people are comfortable coming to me and that there's an openness and then coaching is an ongoing, um, desirable event, not just a performance management moment that happens quarterly or annually. Yeah, absolutely. Because keep in mind, we're, we're not psychologists or psychiatrists. So you don't need to have your Birkenstocks on and you don't have to have the candle and you don't have to have the nice mood lighting. If you want right. to put dimmers on your office, good for you. Right. But right. obviously not necessary. It, and you let might me, get into some HR issues. Totally. And, and let, me, let me just, I want to close my comments with this. For all of you listening, why is this so important when feedback fails? And I want, to, I want to spike a little bit of stress for all of us out there as leaders. The reason it's so important is the cost of losing, losing people and the cost of replacement and separation either physically or emotionally from you as the coach is so high. It is estimated that for every person that we lose, that it will cost anywhere from 30 to 200% of their annual salary. Hmm. Think about that, Jeff. If we lose one person at $100,000 annual annual salary, that is costing you as the coach 30000 to $200,000 per employee. Multiply that out. If some of you out there are sitting there with the 10, 15, 20% turnover rate, you're spending millions of dollars and it will rotate back to these two podcasts where we talked about how important that relationship is between the leader and their follower. And now what we're talking about, how important is the coaching, coaching inside that relationship in order to avoid that type of turnover because turnover is a big issue in today's corporate environment. Right. Yeah. And that's a very tactical and practical. Um, outcome if you're not a good coach, but then think about it just on a human level. And I think as we summarize this as we close, <clears throat> and again, I think we, we might even want to do another show on this to go into more depth because it's such an important topic. And there's so many nuances to that formula that you gave at the end with, do you know your why? And do you know your teammates uh, and team members why? Do you, do you know how to deliver feedback and create a style that's approachable, that's receptive, that's, that's team focused, not you focused. And, and you create an environment that's conducive for people to want feedback and they want to give you feedback, quite frankly, as well. That drives in your impact as a coach. We could spend seven episodes just talking about that formula. And when I think about what it comes back down to, and you know, the, the term that the researchers use in the source credibility, I think what we call it is source trustworthiness. And there's two types of trustworthiness. It's personal trustworthiness and then professional trustworthiness. And this goes for parenting as well as coaching your kid's soccer team, but not until somebody trusts you personally. Again, I'll say it a million times, not until they trust you personally. And by what I mean by that is they feel safe, not until they feel safe of you as a person trusting you personally, will they be open to how you can help them professionally? And, and that to me is the heart of a great coach. And so for those of you, as we close out there today, my last challenge to you is, is whose agenda are you on today? Because if you can think about how you're making your people better, collectively, you will accomplish more. Like you'll, you'll hit the outcomes that you need to as an organization. But sometimes we get so mired into the transactional list and the to-dos and the calendar and the meetings and all the stuff that we forget 
that it's the people that we've put and put in charge of leading that matter more than anything else in the organization as it pertains to driving results. So this has been a really good episode. Thanks for joining uh, us again on this one, Dan. And as, as we talk about, we'll continue to add and weave in leadership and coaching in the further in future episodes because it's so critical to both our personal lives, professional lives, but also our personal lives. And this whole thing's about driving change. This whole podcast is about how do we help collectively help each other become better, better human beings, better leaders, better parents, better coaches, all that stuff. So until next time, I'm Jeff Bloomfield uh, here with Dan Doherty today. So have a great week, everybody. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.